Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Hey, how you doing? Um, if you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, uh, shame on you. If, uh, if but if you are. Um, a regular listener, then you probably know that this show covers all things innovation, creativity, ideas, uh, people who are inventing and reinventing the way we do things and the way we think about things. Um, how was that, Jenny? Was that a good? Was that was that a good intro? Yeah, that seemed solid to me. That was pretty. That was pretty solid. I did, that was kind of like the first time I used that set of words. That was. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with it. So, what about you, Maria? <laughs> did you like that? Okay, cool. All right, so I've, thank you. I've already you've helped me innovate already. The voice you just heard is a woman by the name of Jenny Gottstein. Say hello, Jenny. Hello. Um, how are you doing today? I'm I'm good. I'm sweating a little more than normal. Um, San Francisco doesn't normally get this hot, but hey, you know, it is what it is. It is. It is exactly what it is. Um, that's okay. I was there a, a while ago, and it was. I also got there on a hot day, and I was like, "What? What's the deal?" I had on my fur coat. So go figure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's start. Let's start with this. Why don't you give me and uh, the audience, the crushers out there, a little bit of uh, a one one oh one on who you are. And, uh, and then we'll we'll get into some some nitty gritty. Sure. So I am an adventure game designer and it took my parents a very long time to realize that that doesn't mean video games. So uh, the way that I described it to them was taking the world and turning it into a gigantic game. So I design games in buildings, in uh, across cities, in neighborhoods, in multiple cities at once, where you receive missions on a smart device, and you have to solve them out in the real world and interact with secret agents and find clues hidden in plain sight. So that's my day job. And um, when I'm not doing that with a company called The Go Game, I'm coming up with other wacky ideas to make people do weird things in public. I'm going to start calling this wacky crush. I like I like this I think that might be the first time the word wacky has been used on on this show. Um so uh, 50s. <laughs> exactly. This is a throwback show. Hello. I think I, I picture families gathered around a little radio right now. Mm-hmm. Uh but no, that's I mean that, that's that's pretty interesting. Like uh, there's a quote I, I read in your bio it says Jenny has worked to create unique moments that like gaming inspire a sense of wonder, intrigue, humor and victory. Um, kind of explain what that means. I mean, I, we get it in the game sense, but like maybe from a, I don't know, a practical point of view, what that sentence translates to. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think we get really desensitized by the day to day and anytime that you can crack that wide open, provide a sense of wonder or curiosity or, or delight, then you're having a good day. So in each of my projects, that's what I'm striving to do. And, and what's interesting is that the the architecture around gaming really allows you to like play around with human psychology and to manufacture those moments of awe and delight. So that's what I'm really into. That's uh, that's pretty uh, pretty tremendous. So like you know, kind of give us an idea of the level of participation that happens in these games, right? Because sometimes you you read about these things or you hear about them and you're like, really? Was it that many people that did it or were there like 12 people that showed up? Because you, yeah. you don't necessarily think of mass gatherings at, you know, an interactive adventure game, right? Right, totally. Well, um, I've, I've run games from five people up to 10,000 people, um, run games in multiple cities around the world at the same time. Uh, it greatly depends, right? It depends on who we're designing the game for. Uh, but if we're doing it for the public, we often do these community games. It can it can range. For example, the last, uh, we, we did a zombie apocalypse disaster preparedness game in Portland a few months ago. And that was a, a couple hundred people running around the city learning basic urban preparedness skills while being chased by zombies. So, um, so yeah, you, you definitely, you, you can get some pretty intense of participation. Right. Um, where, where you least expect it. What's now? What's urban preparedness? Is that just like if I'm getting ready to go to Detroit, what should I pack? Is that <laughs> that's a different kind? <laughs> no, this, the whole purpose of designing this game, and we've done these games in various contexts, but it's to it's like you know putting the the vitamin in the in the in the candy, right? It's to get you to learn things that you should probably already know about living in a city, like 
what radio station to tune into when the shit hits the fan or, you know, what to put in an emergency bag or um, how to make a splint. These are things that we should know as humans, but we're either too lazy or too overwhelmed or too apathetic to figure out. So in couching it in this narrative of, hey, you're actually in the middle of a zombie apocalypse or you're preparing for one, it, it energizes people um, and encourages them to learn these things. And they're, it, they're learning it through muscle memory, right? You know, there's, some, there's something different uh, in learning something from reading it versus learning something while someone's shouting at you and zombies are hot on your heels. Um, sounds like my old sex life. But... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but no, like, so what, how long do these things last, right? Let's, let's stick with the, with the, the urban preparedness zombie apocalypse, uh, thing for a second. Like how, sure. from beginning well, that, to end, uh, what's, what's the process and how long does it last? Well, for that one, there was a bit of a long lead time because we created this narrative to, to really sell the concept. So a week in advance, the participants who registered and it was free to participate, um, we sent out an email from this fake Portland Bureau, Bureau of Zombie Management that we had created, uh, which was it, it's, it was very like formal and kind of sterile. And it said, you know, uh, uh, residents of Portland, there's been an outbreak of the HZV virus uh, in Bend. There's no cause for alarm. We have a few confirmed cases, but it's being monitored carefully. Uh, again, do not panic. Uh, we will keep you informed as things develop. But in the meantime, you might want to pull together these following items for your personal emergency kit. You might want to download this first aid Red Cross app, and you might want to touch base with your local uh, disaster management agency just to see what kind of updates they have for you. And then 24 hours before the event, we said, hey, guys, <laughs> so there's been some confirmed outbreaks in downtown Portland. We are evacuating the city. But before everybody leaves, we've set up temporary training centers. Please report to your training center at this location at 1 p.m. tomorrow uh, and bring the following supplies. And um, so that had a bit of a longer lead time. Normally, we just show up. And mind you, I wear an orange jumpsuit for my job. So <laughs> the first time that people interact with me or really the first second that the game starts, they see me roll up in an orange jumpsuit with a bunch of superhero lunch boxes, and that's when the game begins. And then the game can, typically it's about two hours, but we have done games that have lasted a week and beyond. Um, so, and then we also have these persistent games that can be played whenever, by whomever, uh, forever. So it, it depends. Your, uh, your whiteboard must look crazy. Right, like, <laughs> like when, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, our office looks crazy. There's rubber chickens strewn everywhere. We're constantly trying out new things. I once shot my coworker with a, a marshmallow gun. The marshmallow was dipped in uh, food coloring because um, we were trying to come up with kind of DIY paintball. So it's it's complete bedlam around here at any given time. <laughs> but it's it's all part of the innovation process. I think you're about to get an influx of resumes right now. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I want to shoot somebody with a marshmallow for work. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I guess, you know, when you're thinking of things like this, you know, we get a lot of entrepreneurs and creative types that listen to the show and so on and so forth. And I think one thing that we all share in common is like never a shortage of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, how, whether it's one off like the, the, the zombie game or if it's like, oh, you know, kind of just future scope and thinking about what do you want to do next, you know, how do you narrow down like all the different elements that you could do? Ver- you know, what's the what's that brainstorm process like versus what you actually end up with? Sure. Well, the generation of the idea, I I am a strong believer in it has to be organic and kind of out of left field. You know, you can't sit in a room and pound it out. You can pound out the details, but the actual initial concept, it has to come out of your deep, you know, sleeping subconscious. Um, Like the zombie game idea, that came out over uh, around a pint with a friend in London. We were just talking about a a zombie fitness craze in Chicago. And then we realized later on in the conversation that we would be useless in a zombie apocalypse because we didn't know how to do anything. And and then out of that came out, oh, well, what if we made it a game? And so I think you have to take mind breaks. You know, you can't like muscle your way into a good idea. You have to take time to go have drinks with friends and to go watch a really corny movie and to do something that's totally ridiculous 
in order to stimulate that part of your brain that comes up with that next loony bin idea. And then as far as the narrowing in, you know, I, I'm not an expert in design thinking in the slightest considering all the, you know, ideas out there and whatnot. But I think the, where I always start is who's going to be playing? Like, who are these people that are going to be engaging with this experience? And how do we design to them? And there are universal nuggets of fun that we've just stumbled upon uh, in in the course of designing games for 12 plus years. Like, a stranger dancing behind another stranger without them knowing, aka stealth disco, like that is stealth oh, disco. Did you say? Did you say stealth disco? disco? Yeah, no, that's something that we've been doing for years and is popularized by Ellen. And it's just one of those things where, like, it you can't help but it. when you see that. That's ridiculously funny. I don't care where you are, who you are. That is funny. So yeah, you can you can fall back on these kind of foundational ideas. But I think you need to let the idea, the initial idea come to you organically and then start to tailor it according to who's going to be engaging with it and make sure that it really speaks to them. Now, you mentioned earlier, like you, you said, you do, it depends on who you're making the game for. It, it, are you referring to a client? Like, are you guys designing games for, I don't know, Nestle? Or is it like, when you say for, is it the audience and the participants? Yeah, well, so we we work with a lot of clients to design games for different reasons, be it marketing, be it training, be it team building, uh, just pure shits and giggles. You know, whatever the reason is, we'll you know we'll we'll design a game um, for for um, corporate clients, and then we also design, like I said, these community games, which are for. Uh, either to, to test out an idea or to raise money for a cause that we believe in. It's a very small company, so uh, if any one person says, hey, this is a cause that I'm passionate about, we'll, we'll create a community game around it. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a range of people that you're designing for, but you really have to know that audience. Right. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to completely miss the mark. Um, d- how well... Do does a um, let's go on the client side for a second. How well do they understand what you guys do? You know, when they first pick up the phone versus once they start getting into conversations. <laughs> um, nobody has any idea ever. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where it's just like you're gonna do what? I mean, everyone has to when when they're hiring us because it's such a weird concept. There is this level of taking a leap of faith, and so our job, and I think the job of any creative who is is you know, designing something that is so beyond the the realm of, <laughs> of normalcy, normalcy. <laughs> yeah, um, is to is to be a bit of a spirit guide and say, "Don't worry, I've got you. This is going to be great. You just tell me the things that are important to you. You tell me what our constraints are, and I'm going to make it happen for you." So a lot of it is is a lot of it is just like soothe talking. Just you know. Hand holding like, and hey and, baby, don't worry, yeah. I got you. We're just gonna go chase down some zombies and you'll sell your Snickers. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you at liberty to give any examples of like more clients focused kind of games, like maybe something that was in service of a of a brand or a, a for marketing yeah, initiative? Totally. Um, well, one. I ran a game where this was for a video game company and they wanted to turn downtown Denver into a live action version of that video game for six-year-olds. So we had to take the characters from the video game, the narrative arc, and some of the key components. Like there was a train station in the video game. So we used the train station, Lodo. Uh, and and the game ended at Coors Field. Uh, there were the actual characters in the gigantic, you know, cosplay essentially. Um, and so you know that that was an example of a essentially a marketing game, but bringing it, it's like transmedia in a sense of like telling a story through through various media forms, be it video games, be it real world games. Um, another game I did for a client was in a six hundred year old temple in Beijing, um, and the the theme of the game was finding purpose, which I. I, I I don't know that I'll ever be qualified to uh, to be you know to say that I'm in any way an expert, um, but it certainly was fascinating 
taking the essentially the creative brief from them of all the things that they thought were important as far as far as building a sense of purpose. And by the way, these were the leads of the division, the international divisions. So these were like the top of the top, the, the people that were playing the game. So, and the idea being, if they had a sense of purpose, if they leaped out of bed every day saying, this is why I do my job, this is why I believe in the values of the company, that would trickle down to the people that work for them. So I had to find um, actors in, in China, having never been to China before, um, find costumes, wigs, um, I, we had a gong, um, you know, and just put in, and, and it concluded with a uh, gigantic dance and acrobats. I mean, it was, just, it was pretty <laughs> crazy. Um, but, you know, the, the, the point is you, you have to get creative and you have to, you have to trust that you may not know what you're doing, but you're going to do it with all your heart. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it was almost kind of meta. You had your own scavenger hunt in order yeah. to even create, create the experience. But, yeah. and, I, and I think about that also, like this idea of, you know, you guys have to stay fresh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, there's only, I mean, I would imagine, I don't, you, you can answer this, whether it's endless or there's only so many different ways you can, can cut it. Because, um, you know, when, how, do you, how do you keep yourself fresh and how do you keep your teams fresh and keep the experience and keep kind of leapfrogging yourselves every time you do something? Yeah, well, so we're, I mean, our team at the Go Game, it, this is an incredibly talented, super bright, super independent group of people, right? Because each game runner, when, they, when they're assigned a game, it's their projects, you know, uh, nose to tail. It's it's from from the moment it gets assigned to them, it's up to them to figure out how to make it all work. So as a result, the people on our team are very self sufficient and can be these kind of lone rangers out in the field and and make do when things don't go as planned. Like for example, I had a game in Portland and uh, my suitcase with all of the props and supplies needed for the game arrived three hours after the game ended. And so you are trained to figure out how to innovate around the situations and. and it means a lot of stress eating and scrambling around the city, you know, buying weird things. So I think keeping innovation fresh within a group like that, all you really have to do and all we do is we just create space for us all hang out together. You know, our like innovation meetings or our, our creativity brainstorming meetings, it's just about finding like an Airbnb and getting everyone together for a weekend and, and, Sometimes having a bit of an agenda and sometimes not, but out of that comes these, you know, some of our best ideas. So I think just creating a space for enjoyment and for exchange um, is better than having some sort of over-programmed itinerary. You talk talk about this, you know, creating this mind space, right, where, and I don't know what your experience is, is in more traditional job America <laughs> but, but you know I think if you come from an agency or you come from some like high volume place you know or a television network where you're just constantly churning out stuff and there's deadlines and there's creative reviews and there's like a lot more layers that you have to go through and you don't necessarily get that room to breathe even though like maybe you're maybe you're still batting a thousand or you know 950 on on one day but you know have you experienced that the need for creativity under pressure and and if so like how you know how did you how did you deal with it absolutely well on a personal level there's always a deadline for games um and it's increasingly shrinking um but on a professional level i mean i engage with those companies with those startups with those agencies constantly right like i'm the person that they send in to create those creative spaces. And I think that's what games and really any sort of interactive experience does well is it creates a set of permissions that says, hey guys, you know your normal life where you get up and you act the part of yourself? We're going to give you a couple hours or a day or a few minutes to have permission to do that not at all and to try something else completely on for size. So you know, I, I'm a huge believer in that. I think that we we need to. It's basically like playing dress up as adults, kind of. You know, where where you're you're 
challenge to imagine who you would be if you weren't exactly who you were and see how you interact with other people. You know, I read this, this article in Smithsonian Magazine a couple of months ago, and it was about science fiction. They were interviewing these sci-fi writers that were futurists, and they were being pulled into all these mega companies to talk about the future of their products in 50 years or whatever. And because who best to imagine the future than these guys? Than George R.R. R. Martin. Exactly. And, <laughs> You know, the, the, the final statement, which I found so um, so spot on, and in my head I was switching out science fiction for games because I see them as, as serving some of the same purposes, but like science fiction or games, what it allows us to do is it allows us to try on the future and see how it feels. And then when the future comes, we're not only, we don't only have that muscle memory, but we're not quite as gobsmacked when it arrives. Like we've, we've gone through a gone through a dress rehearsal before. And so I think giving people the opportunity to practice being creative cracks open these creative vaults later on down the road. You know, along those lines, right, I I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's um, I think it's kind of allowing people an opportunity to dip dip their toe in the water. And one of my Mm -hmm. theories is always like, if I can just turn on a switch and like, you know, and you're I don't have to give you the idea or like, you know, throw you into the experience. All I have to do is turn on the switch to get you to think about everything differently, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a, which is a small turn. You know, what have been some of the results that you guys have yielded? Like, you know, I'm sure there have been letters or, hey, thank you, this is amazing, now we do X. Or, you know, what is what are some of the results that happen, especially on the client side where, you know, you they, they were a little skeptical at first and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that was the best thing ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, the results range, right? There's the immediate results where I find myself in a situation where I'm talking to a police officer saying, I'm sorry, officer, I promise team scrotal recall will not cartwheel through traffic in the future. Like, I, you know, I'll talk to them about it. So, like, there are these moments of complete release, which happen right away. I don't think you should say complete release and scrotal recall in the same (laughs) phrase. I'm sorry, I maybe should have phrased that a little differently. Um, but then, you know, one of the things that the game runners all comment about when we get together, one of the biggest compliments and the most frequent compliments that we get, people coming up to us afterwards and saying, you know what? Because, you know, we're coming in in the context of like, this is a this is a prescribed activity, which for gr- good reason is not normally welcomed by by employees. I mean, who wants to be prescribed fun? So... One thing that we come in contact with all the time is after the game, the the player that started with their arms folded across their chest, walking up and saying, "You know, that was that was way better than I thought it was going to be." And that's like that's what you want, right? You want that like just a little bit of of sh- of shifting or reserving your judgment or, or realizing that your initial judgment was wrong. And then in the long term, you know, we get feedback from clients months, years down the road of how these types of activities brought the team together opened up new new um, creativity streams, new projects. So there's definitely this this I would guess like or like path of of progress and it starts from the moment that you say go and then it goes on indefinitely. So it's been really thrilling to to kind of receive that feedback and see what the long-term impact of play can be. Um so I, this is on your LinkedIn. Score Pop-up swap is a party, <laughs> a fundraiser, and a department store where everything is free. Um, explain yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, so prior to designing games, I designed party. I worked in events in, in New York City for uh, a number of years with an organization called Mean Red Productions. And it was awesome. It was maybe the best training for designing games that I could have asked for. Um, we did everything from Central Park Summer Stage concerts to uh, midnight vinyl-only disco cruises around Manhattan um, to raves and dim sum restaurants. So it really showed me the power of gumption. Um, and we had a, a space, a, a venue in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Yard, which was this outdoor space alongside a semi-toxic canal, but it was very bucolic. Um, and we, we every summer, we would put together outdoor programming. And there was one summer, and, and this production company was very small. There was three of us. So we were all responsible for everything. Uh, but my particular area of expertise was getting people excited about showing up. Like that was my, that was one of my main jobs. So one summer we had one weekend that we had to get a critical mass to Brooklyn Yard just to make all the numbers work. 
And uh, I was given a bit of a blank slate and told just however you make it happen, make it happen. So I had wanted to test out this idea. So I, you know, I've gone to clothing swaps at girlfriends' houses in the past and they're fun and like social and whatever. And, and maybe 13, 14 people show up and yay, whatever. Um, but I thought, Hey, what if you scaled that into a department store, you made it for everybody and you also made it a party. What would that look like? So what we did was we created this event where it was, um, the first one was absolutely free, but in subsequent events, we we charged a cover at the door and made it a fundraiser for a, a rotating nonprofits that we are supporting. Um, so you pay to get in, you bring your old clothes, your old records, your old bikes, your old books, whatever. And inside the space, which ended up changing, it was a, it was a roving event series, uh, it had been divided up into little departments. So we had the clothing department, the books department, and each department was curated by a brand or organization that was affiliated with it. So Etsy curated the crafts department, Nylon Magazine curated the clothing department. We had these radical librarians curated, curating the media department. And so they're merchandising in real time as, as things are, are coming through the door. And so once you're inside, once you've dropped off your things at the various departments, then you can walk around and you can take whatever you want. It's like, it's like supermarket sweep, right? You can just take whatever your heart desires. And meanwhile, there's DJs and there's food trucks and there's screen printing and nail art and all sorts of other activities. So it's a, it's a fiesta. It's not just people. It's not like a Macy's sample sale where everyone is freaking out. Right. It's people are hanging. It's it's a celebration. And then at the end, you know, all the remaining items either got donated or recycled. So it was this nice kind of keeping things out of landfill, creating a community event, and and kind of repurposing resources in a way that was really fun. So our first event that we put together. Not knowing what we were doing, 1,600 people showed up, no questions asked. And we realized, hey, like, <laughs> we might be onto something. Maybe people like <laughs> right, free things. Right. Um, so we started doing them every couple of months over the next year. And then I got the job at the Go Game, transitioned to the West Coast, uh, kind of went on hiatus for a bit. Um, and then I started it up again in San Francisco with a good friend of mine. Uh, and we've been doing it ever since. That's, so, I mean, that's yeah. amazing. What it, and I think about like, there are a lot of moving parts to these things. Like, you know, everything that you've described since in the last twenty minutes or so, like, has a lot of moving parts. Where you know, most people are like, oh, I, you know, we did this one thing and that was the goal, and that's what you know, that's <laughs> we got there. How do you like, you know, how do you manage a conceptually, you know, all the different pieces that you want to put in into these things, and you know, practically. Obviously, like you have to pay people and so on and so forth. And even in the the case of these uh, pop up, uh, uh, I'll call them a swap meet, even though you'll probably slap me in the face for that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, just like all the moving parts. So, like, what what does it take? And even internally, like, what does it take to keep your sanity during it all? Well, first of all, let me clarify. I love swap meets. It is really different from a swap meet. Um, But as far as how to put them together, games, parties, swaps, whatever it is, I I really thrive finding other people's strengths and playing to them because there's no way I could do any one of those things by myself. But it's a matter of looking at what is already existing and figuring out how to make everything connect and work better by virtue of being connected. And there you have a dynamic and successful experience that can scale. Um, And I think I've always wanted to do that. I mean, I, I, I was looking through old journals from when I was super little and I, when I, uh, my career plans included, I didn't, uh, well, being a, a friend of the dolphins, that was one career path. And then the other one was not the Miami a, dolphins. This do you mean the real dolphins? Not the, no, the very real dolphins. Okay. Not the Miami. Just, no. Although <laughs> I wouldn't mind being friend of the Miami dolphins either. Either um, one. Yeah, I'm flexible career-wise. But the other one was being a connector. And I've always loved that. I've always loved connecting brilliant ideas, people, values, resources in a way that makes them better, you know, greater than the sum total of their parts. So I think I naturally gravitate towards that. But I would say for somebody who doesn't naturally gravitate, the secret sauce is thinking about all the people that you want to have involved and figuring out how to let them shine in that context and it's it's gonna work or at least it's gonna be fun 
<laughs> um, speaking of when you were really young and, and in your journal, did, did they did the Forbes thirty under thirty get a hold of your journal? <laughs> oh no, I that was a complete <laughs> that was a complete surprise. Um, I, yeah, I, I I would have never guessed that I'd be a, a, a thirty under thirty um, Forbes uh, recipient. Um, they called the office. They called the Go Game and. Uh, I was really excited because, you know, I, I'm still kind of doing like PR, like getting the word out stuff. And I thought, oh, man, Forbes is going to do a piece on, on the Go game. Like, woohoo. And um, and so I called them back and they're like, yeah, we have one question. Are you under 30? And I was like, yes. And that was all I heard. And then woke up in January 5th and there it was. And oh, and, wow. uh, and now all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, people who, who have been like, you do what for a living? are now like, oh, you do that for a living. So it's been really helpful as far as legitimizing my, <laughs> my job description. <laughs> is it legitimizing or is it like explain? Because, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work in innovation. Like that, and that word in itself is just kind of like, okay, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> and then you try to explain it, right? And, you know, you can't, it's hard to even sum up one project of yours in, you know, in, in an elevator pitch. Right. Without like really getting without really people having the essence or getting to really understand what it is. So, like, how do you go about your um, even in this Forbes situation or otherwise, like your personal brand story? Right. Because that's that's an important thing that rides along with you. And you're like, well, I, yeah. And I kind of well, it's these things. And then just, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have no idea what my personal brand is. In fact, if anybody wants to give me some basic advice, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> The, the only thing I know how to do is to talk about things that I'm really excited about and I can't shut up about them. So as far as getting the word out, that's pretty easy because I will yammer anyone's ear off about how to architect uh, um, curiosity and play um, and how to, you know, make zombies um, uh, a, a positive part of the urban landscape and how to put a bunch of free stuff in one space without people getting super carnal on one another. I mean, these things I, I have no problem talking about. I don't know about the elevator pitch. I think it needs a lot of work. <laughs> well, we'll we'll help you. We'll crowdsource it now. Everybody who has a challenge, <laughs> help her write her personal brand story. Right. Um, uh, what does what does failure look like in your world? Failure looks like not doing the things that I feel in my heart that I have to do or else I'll die. <laughs> like, like I, I have a whole laundry list of projects that I have to do. And if I can't do them or at least give them a good old college try, then that to me it will, will be a failed attempt. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, failure is just not going for it. Right. And then, and I mean, that's interesting too when you think about like the, when you're a creative person, I'm sure the number of ideas you come up with far outweigh the number the you know the number of ideas you have the time to execute. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's definitely about um, trying to trying to prioritize and, and create a bit of a timeline. But I'm I, I'm optimistic. I think in the next year, here's 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 what I'm going to do in the next year. I'm saying this out loud, so I have to hold myself accountable. Here we go. It's it. being recorded. You recording, Maria? Yeah, is... it's on the record. All right. So, um, in my lifetime. I want to see a national voter holiday. I want election day to be a holiday. And in this year, I don't know, I, I, I don't have any background in, in policy, you know, legislation, any sort of political maneuvering. So I can't go that route. But what I do know is parties. And so this year, I'm planning a party for next year where everyone can come for free um, if you're wearing an I voted sticker just to change the attitude around voting to make it more celebratory and just make it uh, a celebration hopefully over time so large that it can't be ignored and it's eventually uh, a bigger holiday in the United States than the 4th of July. Um, so that's one that's one thing. And then the other thing is I've always wanted to design a game in and for libraries, like hiding clues deep in stacks, like making the urban library, the rural library, a place of uh, of kind of endless mystery. Um, so I'll be working on that over <laughs> the next few months. Um, but that's it. You know what? I got to be realistic. That's it for this year. That's, those are two good. Those are two really good ones. I would even I would even see if you can um, do turn your party into a voting location. 
Mm, yeah, like a like a poll, like a polling location. Yes, like a yeah, like a, if you if you you come here to vote and it is a party. It's, yeah, like ticker tape and the whole nine. Or at least like so, where I live, like I go vote at a fire station, but I could see like a really cool thing out in the parking lot at the you totally. know at the totally. At the fire. No, I think there's some restrictions. Like you can't be too close because all of a sudden you're like infringing on the process. But I think we can keep a healthy distance and just have a rager. Yeah, it was exactly. Like just too loud to even think about who you're voting for. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I I couldn't help but notice you're a woman. Um, but, uh, does, does that ever come into play? You know, cause when, I, because when I first was thinking about this conversation and I was thinking like your mom was about gaming and more on the side of video games, but you know, interactive game design, it's, it feels like a rare practice in in and of itself, but mm-hmm. also you as sort of a 30 under 30, which I would, you know, I would assume like some young girls, you know, I have a 10 year old daughter, like would look to go like, oh, this is an opportunity for me. And you talk about mm-hmm. unlocking creativity and all these different things that are, you know, not only valuable from a business perspective, but just from an internal perspective. Um, do you ever experience like uh, heroism or, or haterism mm. <laughs> in your in your day to day? Yeah. You know, I have been incredibly lucky that my interaction with any sort of, um, you know, uh, discrimination based on gender either has been minimal or I'm too oblivious to it, um, partially because I've worked with some extraordinary organizations, a lot of which have been led by strong women. Not to say that it doesn't exist. It, it, it survives and thrives, and it's something that we should all be working on and talking about. So I'm so glad that you asked this question. Um, but I do, but for personally, the thing that I think holds me back the most uh, is, and for whatever reason, you know, even having grown up in a, in a family of incredibly strong men and women um, with a, a strong sense of self, I still sometimes catch myself saying, sorry when I don't have to or assuming that I shouldn't, you know, or or kind of modifying my behavior because I don't want to come off as too aggressive. And I can't figure out if that's me internalizing the gender roles or if that's a strategy. Um, I don't know. It's something that I'm, I'm kind of, it's a constant internal dialogue. Um, But I certainly... I appreciated coming into the workforce and watching baller women getting it done and, and, you know, no, no apologies and, and sometimes no, um, you know, not really asking for any accolades. I mean, not to say celebrating strong women shouldn't happen. It it should, but I think, uh, I, I think I'm the one who has been holding myself back Hmm. with regards to those roles and so i'm i'm trying to dive into that and figure that out it's well it's, it's funny it's like the internal dialogue right it, you but the fact that you're aware of it uh, and as a as a potential to hold you back maybe not, maybe it does maybe it doesn't but it, you're aware of it and you can deal with it when it pops up, right? I think yeah. mo- most people, we have those whispers, whether you're a minority of any sort or not. Like there's always some form of doubt that pops up and you either tell yeah. it to shut up and go away or, or you like you succumb to it. Yeah, well, I'll give you, you know, a, a perfect example. So a, a good friend of mine uh, started a business, female entrepreneur, it's called Trail Mavens, and she organizes outdoor experiences for women, um, both as a way to kind of train um, camping skills which is rad, but also to bring women together and kind of create a space to talk candidly about whatever. Um, and I've been on a couple of these trips. They're phenomenal. And one of the reasons why I love them so much is because the conversation swings from like, you know, like what movies are rad, like what recipes are awesome, you know, sports, whatever. But invariably, it'll it'll edge towards the professional. And almost in hushed tones, the women in the trip will talk about like, oh, you know, I I don't know how to ask for this raise, or I feel like I'm not taking advantage of the situation, or I'm being taken advantage of. And I I haven't been in the mirrored situation uh, with men, you know, all men in a room for obvious reasons. Um, but I don't think that when they're getting together and having a good recreational time, they're whispering about the same thing. I think they're just having normal conversations, and there's no sense of like, like shame or, or, or confusion or like not, not shame about asking 
the question, but shame that you don't know yeah. what you should be asking. So that is a signal to me that we still have a lot of work to do. So no, it's true. I um I, I think I just thought of your third project. Oh, I think, okay. I think you should go undercover as a man. <laughs> and like go hang. Well, you don't have to hang out in locker rooms, but wherever guys hang out, I don't know sports. I'm a sport. I'm so not a guy, but um, but you know, go to go yeah, to a sports, sports bar. Is that where? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's what they talk about. I'm hang with the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> perfect. It's full circle. <laughs> um, no, that's 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 great stuff. And then I, I saw that you did some work for a domestic violence organization. Um, oh yeah. Well, I mean, I so I I do that by virtue of my affiliation with an incredible woman, uh, my grandmother, who started a book publishing company um, that really it does a lot of stuff but specializes in domestic violence prevention work. Um, and talk about strong women in my life. I mean, she published the first book on domestic violence in the country and has been at the forefront of so many different movements. Uh, she's, you know, a hardcore activist. So I, I think I've been particularly lucky uh, having someone like her in my life. So, I, I, yeah, she, she's been blazing a path that I've just been, like, running to keep up with. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. Like, you, you hear a lot of, uh, I'm going to use the word ballsy, stories about <laughs> about brave women. Like, uh, you know, we had a guy on the show named Amos Pizzi who started a, a company called Talent House. And Amos was, like, um, uh, the drummer for Culture Club and became mm. this, like, massive <laughs> entrepreneur. But, you know, when we kind of got into like, oh, why, like, why do you care so much about other people's feelings or whatever, you know, his, his personal goals were, uh, he told a story about growing up in London. His mom started the first shelter for battered women. Mm. And there was so much like government and community flack that came her way. <laughs> it yeah. was, it was yeah. like, it was like, really? Like, you, but she's like, it's a, you, it's a surprising reaction to people who are trailblazing for the good of an underserved group. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember there was one story my grandma told me. So she started this company, Volcano Press, because we live in a, well, she still lives in this tiny town of 100 people called Volcano in the Sierras. So Volcano Press publishing these books on, on domestic violence, but way back in the day, in the 60s or so, she was at a, a, a book publishing um, convention in London, and she remembers seeing the UK equivalent of the book. It was called Scream Quietly So the Neighbors Don't Hear You. And she was she was so shocked just seeing that book cover. She just kind of hung out and watched the booth for a bit. And all these women would walk past, see the book, kind of get startled, walk quickly past and like sneak back and then like grab it. And that to her was, I, I don't know if that like was her call to arms, but certainly it inspired her to to publish the book in the United States, which was the first of its kind. So I think just being observant of what gives people that reaction is is incredibly intuitive and it and tells you like what matters right like what what needs to happen if people are reacting in that way well i think you know i think that's kind of one of those unifying elements of your story right is looking at how people will react to a certain stimulus right yeah. and like whether it's fun or impactful or but it's really you, you earlier mentioned that you're not a design thinker but I, I think you are right it is kind of going back to the you know what is going to move this person to take the next step to yeah. like you know come out with their issue or join in the fun whatever it is it's like putting yourself in the seat of that person for a minute Absolutely. No, it's it, that's where it starts and ends for sure. Uh, the the show is called Innovation Crush. Did you know that? I did. Okay, good. Um, so what what do you see out in the world? Uh, you know um, that you're personally crushing on. Um, oh my god! Doesn't have to be in your own world. It can be something you saw on TV last night. It can be you know I don't know. Well, I don't I don't know what it could be for you, but that's why I asked the question. Um, well, I'm crushing on uh, the Supreme Court. Um, passing the, well, a, a couple of things in the last week that are notable, um, but one of which um, changing gerrymandering. Uh, <laughs> that was a really nerdy answer to this question. Um, <laughs> however, I'm also crushing on uh, Oceanus. Have you heard of this? Oceanus? No. And nor, have I, nor do I know what gerrymandering is, but, uh, so, but I, oh. I didn't want to admit that on the show. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to let my nerd flag fly. So gerrymandering is basically chopping up a, a district to make uh, to, to make elections go one way or the other. Um, and so obviously it's problematic if uh, if dominant parties can decide how the district gets chopped up because it ends up in their favor. Mm. So that's that. Oceanus is um, a talk about, you know, ballsy. Um, they're they're designing a boat to go out to the uh, Pacific, um, you know, the, the Pacific garbage patch, right? Yes. And they're gonna they're gonna harvest it, and this this boat or this barge has three um, D printers on it, and they're gonna use that uh, to to repurpose the plastics into building more barges that that connect together with magnets and then eventually once they build this like floating uh, you know estate they're going to have hydroponics um, you know like kind of like uh, 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 ocean gardening I guess and then eventually they're going to make it a sovereign state I don't know how much of this is actually going to happen or how well I represented the concept but if that's really the case like I am that talk about a crush I'm crushing hard a, on that whole idea. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, yeah. I, I haven't heard any, I mean, I know about this, the, you know, this island of garbage, which uh, sounds like a Pixar movie. You can, you can make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Ocean, O-C-E-A-N-U-S dot blue. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think just like 3D printing as a concept is really exciting to me. I would love to see 3D printing using textiles to convert into, you know, printable materials. Um, because textiles make up an enormous amount of of waste in our landfills, yep. and we haven't figured out what to do about it. So I don't know. I I, I have a lot of excitement and faith. No, in- you're pretty. But you know, it's funny. You're pretty close because there is t- talk, or there's starting whisperings, or just early stages of you know more f- being able to print with you know print fabrics and print different things, and also print to like very specific size, like a one to one kind of ratio. So. You know, imagine if, you know, you could get, uh, I'm making this up, but um, get your own personal model of the new Donna Karen dress or, you know, mm-hmm. a Tom Ford suit. And you, you, but what you're buying is the materials and the files versus, you know, buying the, um, going to the store and buying it. But I think that's a, a great opportunity. Yeah. And listen, if anybody who hears this is currently making a textile ink, so to speak, get at me because post score events, we have a lot of textiles. So, you know, let's uh, let's build. Let's do it. Let's even, do it. Even though nobody really listens to the show. So um. <laughs> my grandma's definitely <laughs> You're like, here, grandma, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got we've got one hardcore fan for sure. There, yeah, there we go. Um, complete this phrase for me, if you if you will. Innovation to me is. Innovation to me is knowing what co- could go wrong and doing it anyways. Hmm. All right. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's it's it's it's, uh, it's it's scary. It's it's, it's terrifying, but you know, <laughs> you have to just suck it up and, you know, put your shoulder into it. Put your shoulder into it. I think we just discovered the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't get a chance to ask you about Capoeira. I just want, but uh, you know, I think it's so interesting that on top of everything else, you do uh, Brazilian breakdancing. Um, you know, I, I don't know, just kind of walk us through that, like as a, as a personal practice of yours and, you know, as a, as a fellow martial artist, um, mm. I like, I, I, I find myself using a lot of the discipline I learned from martial arts in like my day to day work and the way I approach a lot of things. Um, but you know, I don't know if this, the experience is the same for you and, um, in this, uh, the, the doing all these flippity moves. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, let me clarify. I've been doing it for a really long time. I'm also terrible still to this day. <laughs> um, but I still do it because you're right. There, there, there are a lot of um, things that I think I, I gain from that practice that I pull into a lot of other aspects of life. One of which, it took me a long time to figure this out because I'm ultimately a scaredy cat. So if you put me in any sort of fighting situation, I'm going to default to like terrified, right? But what I realized helped was lifting so so when you're looking this is about to sound really hippy dippy but when you when you're looking through your eyeballs you're looking straight ahead you can see everything you know within that um with within that radius i guess of perception um but if you imagine popping your eyeballs out lifting them above your head 
and then getting the 360 of not just what's in front of you, but what you're doing with it is for me, I'm a really visual person. So I, I I don't know, for whatever reason, that visualization helps me. So the moment that I figured that out, when I stepped into the Hada, which is the circle where you basically, if you're me, get your ass kicked, um, being able to psychologically pop my eyeballs out instead of just like seeing the grimacing, sweaty face in front of me that's, you know, that's thrown kicks at me. All of a sudden I could see myself in that space and start to think, hey, what do I want to be doing here? How do I want to hold myself in this situation? And once I realized that in the context of Capoeira, I started doing that all the time. You know, <laughs> if, if there was a meeting that I was walking to that I was a little intimidated by or a choice that I had to make that, I, that I, I was really on the fence about, popping those eyeballs out and looking bird's eye at the situation and saying, okay, what do I want to see myself do? That really, really helped. So, you know, I think, honestly, I think doing anything physical is great for the brain. You know, forget the endorphins and all the, you know, the mushing the blood around. Like, that's good on a physiological sense. But, like, I think when you take your brain out of the, the pilot seat and you let your body kind of figure some stuff out, it's really informative. So, so yeah, it's it totally yeah. ties back into innovation. I find it also like I mean the the physical activity also gets your mind out of problem solving mode for a second, and yeah, you're just totally. kind of like I'm going to be aggressive for a little while, and I'm, you know I'm going to like you're thinking about you know at least in terms of martial arts or like I, I I'm on a master swim team, and it's like you know I'm just focusing on what I'm doing in that moment. Right. And yeah. not like it, whereas people are like, oh, best idea is coming to shower for me. Like I, it's like I um, th- that's where the things I forgot to do show up. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, I got I forgot to make that phone call. And then I have no pen. Nope. You're like, <laughs> it's like oh, and so I forget again. Sure. But um, but, you know, having that like you mentioned earlier, it's kind of like having that mind space. Maybe it is just, you know, that physical activity that frees you from from thinking of stuff. Um, and speaking of freeing people, I'm gonna I'm gonna free you. I, I could keep talking <laughs> to you forever. Oh man, this was so fun! Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, how can people find you on the interwebs or or, uh, or on the streets? Oh man. Okay. Well, um, you can. So I, I kind of have links to all the various wacky things that I'm up to <laughs> on um, about me about dot me slash Jetstein, so J-E-T-T-S-T-E-I-N. Um, but you can also find me on thegogame.com. Um, you can find me at heyscoreswap.com. I don't know, just Google me. I'm, I'm in the internet somewhere. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, everybody. Well, first of all, thank you for, for joining us. This is awesome. Thank you. Uh, and everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. I will uh, I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, slicing driving friends with her for 10 years one of the funniest people out there and i still have a hard time with the last name liza our very own owen benjamin that's me takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more you don't have to wait any longer just go to youtube.com slash wait for it comedy there's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and i love you A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.